You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephen Carr. You can follow me on Twitter at SCargo, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Zags. Today is Thursday, April 8th, and college basketball does not sleep. We will get to the biggest news of the day in just a second, which is Sean Miller's departure from Arizona. We'll talk about the Tommy Lloyd rumors and how likely that all actually is. Later in the show, and then again tomorrow, I'll be answering a lot of your questions. I put out a mailbag request yesterday. I got a bunch of feedback, but I still need some more for tomorrow. So if you want to ask a question, you can tweet me at SCARGO. That's at S-K-A-R-R-G-0. You can tweet at LockedOnZags, or if you don't have Twitter, you can email the podcast, LockedOnZags at gmail.com. One personal note before we get into all of this, if you want more content on the Gonzaga-Baylor National Championship game, I published an article on my website with a breakdown of how Baylor just absolutely blitzed Gonzaga in that title game. Uh, it's got a bunch of videos and a bunch of explanations of what the heck happened. So if you want to read it, you can go find the linked pin tweet on my Twitter profile. Again, the Twitter profile is scargo. Okay, let's get into it. We'll start today, like always, with some news and notes. The biggest WCC news of the day is that Yasa Frankich, Santa Clara's star forward, is going to return and use his extra year of eligibility. Uh, All-league first team, the WCC averaged 15 points a game last year. So he's going to come back, and he's going to team with Willie Caruso. And then uh, Juricic. Uh, Juricic is coming in from Harvard. So the three of them will combine for a very formidable front court. Uh, and then they developed, last year they developed Jalen Williams and Jordan Williams, who ended up both being pretty good off guards by the end of the year. But they're bringing in the biggest piece is PJ Pipes, who is a lead guard, really good athletic scoring guard from Green Bay. So those guys, a uh, really good front court, finally get some athleticism and some scoring at the guard position. They've got Miguel Tomley, who's a promising young freshman guard as well. And then they'll have Keyshawn Justice on the wing. So they're going to have some talent next year. And currently, they're a top five roster in the WCC. And to be honest, I think LMU and Santa Clara both have better rosters right now than BYU. Um, so we'll kind of see how that all shakes out. Alex Barcelo has uh, said that he may come back to BYU. Uh, and if he does, that's obviously huge for them. Uh, Matt Harms is uh, thinking about doing the same thing. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But right now, Santa Clara and LMU, probably the third and fourth best rosters in the league, which is great. Um, and Vrankic joins Tommy Cousy, who's coming back for his extra year of eligibility, and Eli Scott, who's coming back for his extra year of eligibility. So a lot of really good talent coming back to the West Coast Conference next year. Speaking of next year, uh, just a quick update on Gonzaga's non-conference schedule for next year in case you don't know exactly what it is. They're going to face Duke in Las Vegas on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, they're going to play Texas Tech in Phoenix. Texas Tech is going to have a new coach. Uh, and then they're going to play in the Empire Classic in New York. And they're going to face two of these three teams of Louisville, Oklahoma State, or Providence so they'll play two of those three, and then they'll play at Texas, starting a home-and-home -home series at Texas. That was supposed to happen this year before the pandemic ruined everything. 
And then they're going to have uh, home games against Arizona and home games against Washington. Uh, and then they'll fill out the rest of their non-conference slate probably with a bunch of uh, mid-major schools. So let's talk about Arizona. They could have a new coach. And if it's Tommy Lloyd, I don't know if they'll play that game, uh, but that is way down the road. Uh, Sean Miller out at Arizona finally. Uh, the last three years have been marred with FBI investigations and they had a postseason ban this year. The One of the top candidates to take over the job is Tommy Lloyd, associate head coach at Gonzaga. The other name that seems to be floating around is Damon Stoudemire. If you look at Vegas betting odds, David Stoudemire is the leading candidate, followed by Tommy Lloyd. Um, there is a contingency of boosters and fans that want to stay within the Arizona family, in which case they would go after Stoudemire. But if they're going to go outside of the family, Tommy Lloyd is about the best possible hire that you can make. Uh, both athletic directors today from Arizona and from Gonzaga spoke to the media Arizona's AD had about a 30-minute press conference just talking about the whole situation with getting uh, uh, dumping Miller and, and what they're going to do going forward. And it basically was 30 minutes and very little substance. But the one thing he did say is that they're going to consider everybody not just solely focused on former Arizona players and people within the program. So that leads you to believe that they are talking to Tommy Lloyd. Many people have said they're talking to Tommy Lloyd, and it's probably just up to Tommy Lloyd at this point on whether or not he wants to take the job. Um, Jim Meehan from The Spokesman talked with Mike Roth about all of this, and this is what Mike Roth said. I'll quote it for you. Quote, just this year alone, there's been three jobs prior to Arizona that his name has been part of or seriously reached out to him and tried to connect with them. That's probably been the case the last five to six years on average. These are Division I jobs and jobs in multi-bid leagues. We are committed to Tommy here, and he knows that. We've made that public. We'll continue to do our best to let him know this is where we want him to be a head coach someday when the time comes. And we want him between now and then to help us be one of, if not the best basketball programs in the country. End quote. To me, I think the biggest question and possibly the biggest determining factor on whether Tommy Lloyd actually takes the job or not is if he sits down with Mark Few and kind of determines when exactly Mark Few is thinking about retiring. Because we all know Tommy Lloyd is the coach in waiting at Gonzaga, but if Mark Few's got 10 more years left in him, then I don't think Tommy Lloyd is going to wait around 10 more years when he's got a job offer of Probably a long, a long, probably seven, eight, nine-year contract at Arizona waiting for him. Um, I don't know if he wants to wait 10 years and be in his late 50s when he gets his first head coaching job. So I think that conversation with you and, and kind of seeing when exactly that timeline would match up, um, I think that is a, a huge, huge determining factor in this. I've heard people both in Arizona circles and Gonzaga circles, talking about both Damon Stoudemire and Tommy Lloyd. Um, I don't think there really is a clear favor right now, despite what you may or may not be hearing. So we'll kind of just have to wait and see on all of that. I will say, and we could talk about this again later if Tommy Lloyd takes the job, but if he does leave Gonzaga, I'm not necessarily worried about the recruiting aspect of everything because Brian Michelson and Roger Powell are have become just elite level recruiters. I am more concerned about the X's and O's portion of it because Tommy Lloyd has had such an enormous influence um, on their style of play and their ball screens and how they've become very, very European style. Um, so 
I think I would be more concerned about the X's and O's portion uh, and what he brings to the table with that than I am with recruiting. But again, long ways to go. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but just, you know, keep your eyes out on the Tommy Lloyd to Arizona rumors. All right, now that that's out of the way, uh, coming up, I'm going to answer a bunch of your questions. Uh, there is a question about Tommy Lloyd. Um, there's a question about the WCC, um, some stuff about uh, Gonzaga's NCAA tournament past and history. And then uh, at the end of the show, we'll get to Gonzaga's future and what next season's roster holds. So we'll get to all of that. But first, a minute to talk about rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and reliably low. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's just get right into it. Some mailbag questions. First one comes from Brandon. If Tommy Lloyd leaves, who would be next in line as the successor to Mark Few? Would it be Brian Michelson based on seniority? This is a great question. Um, I would say... I don't think Brian Michelson would get a clause in his contract like Tommy Lloyd did, where he's automatically the next head coach of Gonzaga. But I do think he probably gets elevated to the number one chair right behind Mark Few for the time being. Um, the only way I could see that changing is if Tommy Lloyd takes the job at Arizona and tries to take Roger Powell with him. And Gonzaga tries to do everything in their power to keep Roger Powell and elevates Roger Powell to that first chair. But again, that is way down the road. Um, so I don't think Brian Michelson would necessarily get a clause in his contract to say he's next in line to be the Gonzaga head coach. Uh, but I do think he moves up to the first chair. And down the road when Feud retires, um, I suppose it could be Michelson who could be the next head coach. Tommy Lloyd could come back to Gonzaga and be the net he next head coach. Um, but that's all stuff that we can determine down the road for sure. Next question comes from Brian Mary. He says, how many bids is the WCC going to get next year with guys like Tommy Cousy and Vrankic and Eli Scott coming back? Shante Leggins potentially bringing in the Groves brothers to Portland. Pretty good transfers joining San Diego and BYU just being good every year. Uh, I would say they're probably going to get two NCAA tournament teams would be my guess. I don't buy that Santa Clara and LMU are necessarily NCAA tournament caliber teams. Um, they certainly can be, and I know they want to be. Eli Scott said he's coming back to lead them to a tournament. Um, I got a message about Joseph Vrankic saying, you know, he's trying to come back and lead them to a tournament as well. So, I mean, they have aspirations of making the NCAA tournament, and their rosters right now, like I said earlier, probably you know, second, third, fourth in the WCC, just because BYU's roster doesn't have any guards currently. 
So uh, it's very possible that they can make a run. It all obviously depends on um, if they can have a pretty decent non-conference schedule. But I do think uh, those teams, plus St. Mary's, plus BYU, there's very, very easily could have five or six, maybe even seven um, playoff caliber teams. Um, I don't necessarily think all of them are going to get to the NCAA tournament. That's impossible. But um, we could get two or three bids as a conference and then, you know, a couple NIT bids, a couple CBI bids. I think there's probably seven teams right now that are playoff worthy. Um, and then, you, work, you know, we kind of just have to see what the rosters shake out to be uh, over the rest of the offseason. But I, I would guess two NCAA tournament bids is probably the limit that I would go at right now. This next question I got from several people, and it's basically all the same question worded differently. Do we have any idea when Chad Holmgren's decision date is? And the answer to that is no, but it's probably shortly after April 10th, which is the end of high school basketball season in Minnesota. And it sounds like he wants to wait until the end of that season. Um, So probably could expect something as early as next week. I have seen nothing and I've heard nothing that you should worry about. Uh, everything still points to Chet Holmgren coming to Gonzaga. I got to imagine after the national championship game, Jalen Suggs put some sort of word into him like, hey, you know, it's, it's your time to come to Gonzaga and, and, you know, finish the job, that kind of thing. So um, I still think Chet comes to Gonzaga. It's just a matter of time uh, at this point. All right. I got something from Sean and something from Derek that I kind of want to lump together here. From a coaching strategy perspective, with the national championship as the end goal, why shorten the rotation in the season so you can't adjust to different styles in the tournament? This has always befuddled me when they have been burned by matchups and injuries in the past. And then Derek follows up by saying, I feel like Umar Balo could have made a difference versus Baylor on the boards, and he has five fouls to give. So the rotation is always a topic of conversation. It feels like every single year leading into the tournament, Gonzaga is uh, kind of notorious for shortening it to six, seven, eight players as the season goes on. I honestly, watching these guys play this year, I don't know if anybody on that bench would have helped them against Baylor uh, on Monday night. Uh, certainly Umar Bala would not have been one of those players because they would have just put him in ball screens just like they put Drew Timmy in ball screens. Uh, and it would have just it would have been just as bad. Uh, and I don't think he would have provided much on the offensive end. The only one player that I think may have been able to make some sort of difference would be Julian Strother. But earlier in the season, uh, there were times where he struggled with just in-your-face ball pressure. And that's what Baylor did all night long. And it's really, really hard to trust true freshmen on the defensive end in a national championship game. So, um, but it is, it is something that's always interesting. You know, I mean, they've played Dominic Harris at times and Julian Strother at times and Ballo at times and Ben Gregg at times. Um, but I, I just, they're, they want a core group of seven or eight every single year. Uh, that they can fully, fully, fully trust uh, when they get into uh, the NCAA tournament. And typically, you have to be a pretty, pretty, pretty special uh, freshman in order to get into that spot. Um, And Dominic Harris and Julian Strother are very talented freshmen, and they're going to be enormous, enormous pieces next year. Uh, But there were just players ahead of them on on the depth chart this year. 
So this one's interesting. It's a stat that's been floating around the last 24 hours. Gonzaga is 1-12 the last 20 years in the NCAA tournament going against top three seeds. So the question that they posed is, is that just a statistical noise or is it evidence of ongoing problems slash mismatches against serious t- title contenders across many years? So their one win came in 2016 when they were an 11 seed and beat three seed Utah. It was the Sabonis game where he just kind of ate Yaka Bertel's lunch. Um, but the other games, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying yesterday, like the, the Gonzaga teams from the 2000s can't be compared to the Gonzaga teams from the last five years or so. So like 2001, they were 12 seed, lost to a one seed. 2003, nine seed, lost to a one seed. 2009, four seed, lost to a one seed. 2010, eight seed, lost to a one seed. 2011, they were an 11 seed, lost to a three. 2012, they were a seven, lost to a two. 2014, they were an eight, lost to a one. Like all of these games, they were, you know, sizable underdogs, not supposed to win the game. So it's kind of hard to say that it's a mismatch or evidence of problems more, more than it is like, hey, you're a seven seed going against a two, you're not supposed to win. If you upset them, great. The game in 2006 is a little bit different. They were a three seed going against two seed UCLA. That was the Adam Morrison game. Obviously should have won that game at the time. Uh, but I, th- I want to say that they were probably slight underdogs going into it. Uh, I don't know what the point spread was. 2015 is kind of the same way. When they were a two seed, they went up against number one seed Duke, who ended up winning that national championship. Um, but they were in that game the entire way. Kyle Wilcher missed a layup down the stretch that kind of turned the tides. But that Duke team was better than that Gonzaga team. If you play that game 10 times, Duke probably wins seven, eight, maybe even nine times. Their guards were just better than Gonzaga's guards. Um, and then you get to the last three years, uh, 2017, the national championship game against North Carolina, one versus one. 2019, uh, Texas Tech in the Elite Eight was one versus three. And then this year, national championship was one versus one. They were 0-3 in those three games. Probably should have won at least one of those. Uh, I'm not going to say probably. They definitely should have won at least one of those. But I don't necessarily think that it's like a mismatch against serious title contenders. They were one whistle away or one basket away, one possible rolled ankle away from beating North Carolina. Um, the Texas Tech game, they just made a couple bad plays down the stretch and let Davide Moretti hit a couple late threes that they shouldn't have. Um, and then they just ran into a buzzsaw on uh, on uh, Monday night when they played Baylor. So um, it takes a lot of luck to win in this tournament. It's the hardest thing to win in all of sports, I think, outside of maybe the Stanley Cup. Um, so I, I wouldn't put any stock into... The first 15 years or so, uh, when they were, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven, ten seeds, something like that, and they're losing to one seeds. But I do think it's interesting over the last, you know, four or five tournaments that they're 0 and 3. Probably should have won one of those. Um, if it continues over the next five years, then I think you can start saying it's a trend. But right now, I wouldn't say it's a really a trend of anything more than it is maybe just a lot of un- unluckiness. All right, so that's enough about the past and the current team. Coming up next, we're going to talk about next year's team and what the roster could look like and some rotation possibilities is something we're going to talk about a bunch over the offseason, but I'll give you a little bit of a primer here coming up in a second. It is Masters Week. Did you know it was Masters Week? 
If you want to bet on it, betonline.ag is the place to go. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA, the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Football fans, the NFL Draft is just weeks away. It's time to start following our Locked On NFL Draft duo. The Draft Dudes Podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll wrap up today with some questions about next year. This one comes from uh, NVMan21. After... Tournament performances, how many of our seven-man rotation return next year? Also, who, if anyone, transfers out of the program? Sakharov and Arlauskas feel like they could. Not sure what to make of Balo. Right now, I would say three players out of the seven return next year. Uh, Nemhard will return as a starting point guard. Timmy, I think Timmy is going to return. I think he'll probably put his name into the draft, but he'll return to school for next season. And he'll probably be the uh, preseason player of the year. And then uh, Anton Watson also coming back next season. I don't like to uh, necessarily predict who will transfer because I'm not uh, in their headspace and I don't know what they want with their own careers. Um, But I will say if any of them are most likely to transfer, just based on them being recruited over or somebody that has to kind of be a, a roster casualty if they bring in more talented players. Um, it's probably Pavel Zakharov. There's just so many other big men that have been recruited over him at this point, so uh, he could be the one to leave. But again, I don't know what his career aspirations are. Um, I think Arlauskas could end up getting wi- uh, minutes at the wing by the end of his career if he stays. I really still like Omar Ballo, to be honest with you. I think he posts up so hard. It's just a matter of him you know, having better hands a little bit more athleticism, but I really think he can make an impact, maybe not next year, but the year after and then his senior year. I really think he still has a, a chance in this program. Um, so I hope he doesn't transfer out. Uh, I really hope nobody transfers out. I don't like when players transfer out, but everybody has to do what's best for their own career. Um, and so we'll kind of see what happens. So this is kind of another combo question. Matt and TJ both asking about next year's team. If Ayayi stays and we get Chet Holmgren, do you think next year's team on paper would be even better than this year's team? What if Ayayi leaves? And then TJ follows it up by saying this, Gonzaga opened next year as the favorite to win the title at plus 700. This year's team opened at the start of the season at plus 1100. The next closest for next season uh, is at plus 1400. All of this is to say, If Chet commits, how much better can we slash should we be? First of all, those betting numbers are really, really interesting. That Gonzaga actually opens as a bigger favorite going into next season than they did coming into this season because I honestly am not sure next year's roster is as talented as this year's roster. Uh, It certainly can be, but I think there's going to be some holes. I don't know if they have enough shooting if Ayayi leaves. 
Um, I think Dominic Harris and Julian Strother and Andrew Demhard kind of all have to become knockdown shooters. They're going to miss Ayayi and Suggs and especially Corey Kispert desperately. Um, I think next year's roster is going to look a lot more like the 2017 version of Gonzaga where it's more, much more defensive oriented and kind of play through the post uh, with one really, really good lead guard and then kind of have their offense be in that, you know, nationally 10 to 15 rank as opposed to um, the number one offense by far in the country. But we'll see what happens. Um, and that kind of leads into what Gabe's question is. And this is what we'll end the show with. What do you think the starting lineup and bench looks like uh, assuming Ayayi leaves? So in my opinion, there's seven players locked into a rotation spot next year. And that's Andrew Nemhard. Dominic Harris, Hunter Salas, Julian Strother, Chet Holmgren, Anton Watson, Drew Timmy. If I had to guess on a starting lineup right now, I would say it's Nemhard, Harris, Strother, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy with Salas and Watson coming off the bench. But you can sub in Salas and Watson pretty much anywhere, and I wouldn't argue with you. So I think those are the seven guys for sure in the rotation. And then there's going to be a chance for an eighth and a ninth guy. The eighth guy is going to be a transfer guard, assuming Ayayi leaves. If Ayayi comes back, all bets are off. I mean, there's the, 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 the ceiling raises uh, a lot if Ayayi comes back. But assuming he's gone, somebody's going to have to take his place, and it's going to have to be a transfer guard. They need one more guard on the roster next year. Uh, it could be Devin Askew if Aaron Cook decides to say it could be Aaron Cook. Otherwise, it could be some other transfer. And then the other ninth spot is going to be whatever – is the best big man on the roster, whichever one steps up the most. If Walker Kessler comes, it could be Walker Kessler. It could be Ben Gregg. It could be Umar Ballo. If Caden Perry is is ready right away, it could be Caden Perry because he kind of gives a little bit more athleticism um, than Ben Gregg does. So it could be any of those guys fighting for minutes along with whatever transfer guard comes in. They'll be fighting for minutes too. And then the interesting part to watch is kind of to see if the team is going to go small or if they're going to try to play uh, big because you can have lineups where you play Nemhard and Harris and Salas all in the court at the same time and just play three guards. Um, you can play those three guards plus Julian Strother at the four and then, you know, whatever big you want, Timmy or Chet or whoever at the five. And then you can have some really, really big rosters where you've got uh, Watson and Chet and Timmy all playing on the floor at the same time because Chet's going to play on the perimeter. Um, so just there's a lot of roster versatility, but there's seven guys I think that are locked in, and then a transfer guard will probably make up the eighth spot, and then whichever best big man on the roster steps up will kind of take that ninth spot. Okay, that's going to do it for mailbag day number one. Uh, there's a couple more questions we'll answer tomorrow about uh, recruiting pipelines, especially from Canada, and then a question about Mark Few. I am still looking for more questions, like I said earlier. Uh, if you want to tweet me at scargo, that's at S-K-A-R-R-G-0. If you've got something that you want to ask, if you don't have Twitter, you can email LockedOnZags at gmail.com. We'll be back here tomorrow to answer a bunch of more questions. Um, they could be about the men's team. They could be about the women's team, other things about Gonzaga. Whatever you want, I will answer. I'll take the best ones tomorrow, and we'll see you then. Don't forget, you can rate and review the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we will see you back here tomorrow morning. And do not forget, it is a great day to be a Zag.